Thanks, guys. Um, do me a favor and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Uh, and just sort of keep your Bibles open tonight. We um, are going to look at a few other passages, and sometimes it's helpful to see them here. They actually won't be on the screen, so um, might actually have to keep our Bibles open. Uh, well, hey, um, it's great to see you all here this evening. Happy Advent season, right? I mean, the Christmas markets have been open for a while, and, and, and Christmas lights have been going in Zurich now for a little while, but we are officially beginning... Uh, in the church, the Advent season, the season where we eagerly await the coming of Christ, the season where um, for four or five weeks we eagerly look forward to the coming of our Lord and Savior and then celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ each and every year. And so for the next four weeks, including tonight, three weeks after tonight, I'll be doing a a series. Um, Andy in the morning is going to be preaching in a morning service on um, Abraham and the, the, the foundations of, of our faith and, and, and where our faith comes from. And so I thought since he was doing a, a series on Abraham, it would be fun for us in the evening to do something similar, but with Mary. To do a couple of weeks talking about this person that we know about as Jesus' mother, Mary. And uh, so we're going to spend the next couple of weeks doing that. And tonight, we're going to talk about doubt. Actually, tonight, we're not really going to talk about Mary. We're going to talk about Joseph, her husband. Um, because I happen to love the character of Joseph, and I'll tell you why. And, and the reason is, if we're all honest, we all have doubts, right? It doesn't always have to be about faith. We all have doubts. We all struggle to know things. We all, you know, sometimes we doubt ourselves in school. Sometimes we doubt ourselves in work. Sometimes we doubt ourselves in relationships. And yes, many of us Christians, even us pastors, we sometimes have doubts with our faith. And we sort of wonder, you know, or, or maybe we feel let down and we wonder when it's going to happen again, when the doubts are going to resurface in our lives. You know, I may be odd. I think I, actually, no, sorry, let me restart. I know I'm odd. Um, but part of that is because I really like doubt. In my own life, I, there's something about my character and my temperament that I actually really like doubts. Um, I'm a bit of an investigator. And so if I have a doubt, if I feel doubt, I actually throw myself into that. I lean into the doubt and I start studying and I start researching and I look for other people's opinions and truth and I try to figure it out. I realize that's not everyone though. You know, I have many people in my life who doubt is not something that makes them excited and they lean into it, but instead they run away from it. To some of us, doubts can be a crippling thing that shake our very foundation and we wonder what in the world we're doing. For some of us, doubts can, you know, make us overconfident, right? We're a little self-conscious and so when we doubt, we sort of overplay our doubts so that no one thinks we would ever have any doubts. You know, I don't know how you deal with your doubt, but just so you know, it's okay. It's natural to have doubts. We all have them. And tonight, as we look at the story of Joseph and Mary, about Joseph and his doubts, about the assurances of God. We're looking at a story about when we encounter doubt that we need to be reminded sometimes of God's goodness, that we need to, sometimes we need to take a chance when we doubt. Sometimes we're taking a chance on people. Sometimes we're taking a chance on situations. Sometimes we have to trust and take a chance on God, even when we find ourselves doubting. And so as we saw in our story, uh, this is what happens. In Matthew 1, we saw that Joseph and Mary, 
Uh, it starts out talking about how they were pledged to be married. They, they were betrothed. It had been set up that they would be married. And you know, though the, the, the process wasn't finished, that they weren't um, living together yet, but that legally they were essentially married. To be betrothed at that time was to be legally bound to the other person. Around this time in the New Testament era, um, especially in Israel, marriages were arranged, <laughs> unfortunately, Mary didn't have a lot to say or do with the situation. Uh, it would have been arranged between Joseph's family and, and Mary's dad, right? And, and it would have been arranged that Joseph's dad would actually give Mary's father a gift to sort of, it sounds really bad, but this is essentially what it was, to, uh, like, like a, a, a purchase price for Mary. And then Mary would come into Joseph's home and live with Joseph and his family and, and that this is what would happen. And now, imagine the pressure on Joseph. Imagine this situation. You know, and this obviously is a very serious thing not just in Israel, but in all cultures, right? But especially in Israel, in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, it talks about this sort of thing. It talks about what may have been going through Joseph's mind. And in Deuteronomy 22, it actually says this about a woman who um, is, is, is not a virgin. If, however, the charge is true and no proof of the girl's virginity can be found, she shall be brought to the door of her father's house, and there the men of her town shall stone her to death. She has done a disgraceful thing in Israel by being promiscuous while still in her father's house. Now, we hope it wouldn't have come to this with Mary and Joseph, but needless to say, this was no small issue that Mary had become pregnant. This was not just something that is going to be okay. This was a big problem. And so Joseph... It says that she was found to be with child through the, script, or through the Holy Spirit, and then it goes on to say, and like I said, Joseph wasn't a bad guy. Go to the next slide, Clara. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Joseph wasn't such a bad guy. He was just going to do it privately. He just didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, so he thought, you know, maybe if I can divorce her quietly, <laughs> she can stay in her father's house, have the kid, and, and, and then we can sort of restore the reputation, and she'll be okay, and I can be out of this situation and everything will be all right, right? Maybe he's just trying to help his family. You know, I'm supposed to be bringing this girl into my family and, and clearly something is not what it was supposed to be. We get Joseph's perspective, don't we? I mean, we get the doubt. Let's call it what it was. Joseph and Mary were teenagers, most likely. At the oldest, Joseph is in his early 20s. At the oldest, Mary is 15 or 16 years old, right? And I always joke with the youth group as a youth pastor, like, it's so much fun for me to be like, hey, if one of your friends got pregnant and, and they came to you and said, no, 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 it was the Holy Spirit, um, you, you're probably not going to believe her, right? Like, <laughs> and, and I know it's not something to totally joke about, but I get Joseph. Can we be honest about that? I mean, I get it. I get the logical thought process. You remember, you remember Thomas? If you guys, if those of you who have been in church a while and have heard the story of Thomas after Jesus is resurrected, all the disciples are saying, hey, Jesus is resurrected. And Thomas says, no. No, he's not, guys. And they said, no, 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 I saw him. I walked with him. I talked to him. And he says, no, he's not. And until I see the hands, I'm not going to believe it. Like, I, I get Joseph. I get Thomas. Because that's how I feel a lot of the time. That's how I feel a ton of the time. And I, I love to have truth. And I love to think logically about things. And sometimes that affects my relationship with God. As many of you know what that's like. Sometimes we think that, hey, 
uh, I'm gonna project all of these things onto God, and we do it maybe without even realizing it. We begin to project all of our desires, all of our wants, all of our goals onto God. And we think that maybe God promised us one thing, but we never got that thing he promised. Maybe like Joseph, you felt sometimes with God that you felt like you were being tricked. Like that God promised all these great things and Jesus had all these great teachings and then one day you sort of thought, wait a minute. This isn't what I signed up for. Maybe like Joseph, you sort of think, maybe I could just deal with this in quiet and get rid of this part of my life. And maybe I can just sort of wander off and not tell anyone what's going on. I joke about this all the time. I don't know if it's an actual Irish thing. Um... In America, we have this phrase called the Irish goodbye. And I don't know if anyone knows what that is. Um, it's basically very unswiss, super unswiss. It's when you're at a party or a big gathering and you just sort of sneak out without telling anyone because you don't want to, you want to avoid all those weird, awkward half goodbyes as you're leaving, you know, and then people say, no, stay, no, I have to go, no, goodbye. Okay. Like, and so we call it the Irish goodbye. And it's my favorite thing to do and it makes me a social um, pariah in Switzerland. But it was always my favorite thing to do at a party. You just sort of, you know who was great at this? Was you always remember Doug Brower, the pastor, that was here a couple of years ago? One day he'd be there and we're sitting around coffee hour chatting or out at fellowship chatting and then I look around, he's just gone. And he's just like, oh, I gotta catch a train. And he'd just take off. Um, I used to always do this and it's actually really good for me not to. But I, I immediately thought about this when I was reading this passage, like this idea of thinking, what if I just sort of, in my doubt and in my fear, just sort of, just like duck out without saying anything and go away and hide. See, church, in our sin, our sin covers us to the good things God has done. It's like a block. We like forget the good things God has done. And in our sin, it wants to distract us from God. It wants to have us live only in the present moment and forget about all the great things God has done. And so what our sin does is says, hey, look at here and now. You're missing things. This is not the God you signed up for. Get out. Our sin would have you and me forget about our God. And we're tempted to only remember the hurt or the doubts. And so sin lies to us and actually tells us to divorce ourselves from God that God is not living up to his part of the deal. And like Joseph, we often will feel let down. Our doubt, our sin tries to deceive us into telling us there's something better out there. And so we think, yeah, if I leave this, something better will surely come. I didn't sign up for this. And I'm sure Joseph was thinking, there has to be more for me out there. This is not what I signed up for. There has to be a better deal. I thought I was bringing a good girl home to my family. I thought I was bringing someone reputable into my family, but clearly this was a lie. This was not worth doing, and so I'm out. Like nothing against Mary. I'm gonna do it in secret. It's cool. I'm not gonna shame her, but I'm out. But verse 20, after he had considered this, something happened. An angel of the Lord appeared to him and in a dream said to him, do not be afraid. Take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. An angel visits him, which, by the way, um, sort of a special circumstance, the whole Holy Spirit birth, so I think it's only fair that he got a special angel visitation to make sure he knew. But an angel visits him in a dream and says, hey, she's not lying, Joseph. 
And you're gonna name him Jesus. You're gonna name him God saves because he will save his people from their sins. So, thinking about Joseph. Many of you have been through Advent seasons at church. You've heard the story. You know what the Bible says, what happens after this. If you consider the whole story, Mary, Joseph, Jesus, all of it, now Joseph starts by getting confirmation in a dream, which is awesome. But it continues throughout the narrative. See, it would be enough if God had just said, hey, I'm gonna send an angel to you to give you a vision and a dream just so you know this is from me, period. Get over it. But God is so good that he continually, throughout the Advent narrative, reminds him of this time and time again. We see this with the shepherds when they come to visit Mary and Joseph after Jesus is born. We see it with the wise men. We see it with the prophets in Jerusalem. We see it with Zechariah and Elizabeth. We see it with all of these things confirming that this indeed was from God. And I'm sure as Joseph grew up and his life went on, he began to see it in Jesus himself and how his son acted and lived and what he did for others. It probably still wasn't easy for Joseph. <laughs> the angel visited him, but it didn't visit everyone in his town. <laughs> right? It didn't, didn't tell everyone else. He probably still had to live with a lot of difficulty. He probably still had doubts that creeped up every now and then. But you know what, church? He chose to believe. And I think for you and for me, I think most people, we want to believe, don't we? However, we're often impatient and really bad at listening. <laughs> we're really bad at being patient with God and listening to what God is telling us. See, Joseph was lucky. His revelation was pretty quick. An angel came to him in a dream. That's great. But when you think about you and I and some of our weaknesses, we want things to be immediate. We want things to be now. You know, maybe, maybe it's, it's a hearing issue. <laughs> Maybe we just have so many things happening in our life and so many things entering our ears that we never actually take time to listen to God. Maybe we never take time to consider the truth of God. Maybe we're constantly hearing lies and sin in the lies of the world and so we don't have any space to hear from God. Or maybe, maybe we're just in a season of waiting. Maybe if you feel like God is not there and God is not answering or some of these things aren't working out, maybe you're just in a season of waiting. You know, Andy is uh, talking about Abraham in the morning and um, Abraham had a really big season of waiting in his life. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. At the end of Genesis chapter 16, after Abraham has Ishmael, it says this, so Hagar bore Abram's son and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son he had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. And then in chapter 17, verse one, the very next verse says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, and then it goes off into the whole story of Isaac. <laughs> Abram had a waiting period of about 13 years before he heard God's promise fulfilled. Maybe we're just in a season of waiting. Maybe some of our doubts come from our impatience in a season of waiting. And you say, Sam, well, yeah, it's great. It's all well and good, but God has never made me a miraculous promise like Abram, right? God never promised me. God never sent me a vision in the night. How do you expect me to be so patient with God? How do you expect me to not want to go and divorce God and run off when he hasn't fulfilled what he said? I've had a lot of people say this to me. They'll say things like, oh, well, Sam, you're a pastor. You don't get it. For us, it's different. 
I've had people say, it's not like it is in the Bible where angels come and tell you what to do. It's really hard to trust day in and day out when doubts are coming up all the time. How do we do this? I just want to remind you of a few things. Some really important things. This Jesus was indeed born and did grow up and he taught some pretty awesome things. And some of the things he said were things like this. And these are not just promises that were to pastors or promises that were to super holy people. This is for all of us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Not just pastors, not just the holiest, but all of us. And Jesus, when he went to leave his disciples, said to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Jesus said, don't doubt, trust in me. Trust the things I'm saying. Because one day, One day there will no longer be any curse. One day there will be a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. See church, we don't have an angel visiting us. That would be really great if, he, if we did, telling us what to do. If you've had that, great, I haven't. But when I read this book and I think about the promises of scripture, I realize that they weren't just made for people 2,000 years ago. These promises were made for you and for I so that when we are having doubts, we remember that through Jesus' death, and, or life and death and resurrection that he showed us we have no need to fear. That in fact, this Jesus took a chance on us See, we always think of Jesus loving us so much that he just did these things and Jesus took a chance on us. Jesus knew that many people would not believe in him and yet he gave himself willingly for them. And he had no doubt about it. Even though we we're impatient, even though we struggle at times to listen. Church, are, are we patiently listening for the revelation of truth, for the revelation of God to lead us when we have doubts? Or, let me ask you this, and I want you to think seriously about this. Are you secretly trying to divorce yourself from God? Are you slowly, secretly, in the, back in the back of your mind thinking, I'm just going to prepare myself just in case this doesn't work out? God, if you don't do this in six months, I'm out. God, if you don't follow through on what you said in the next two years, I can't do it. Church, really be honest with yourself. Have you made an exit strategy for your faith? I'm not going to do it publicly. I'm not going to become an angry atheist and denounce Christianity, but if God doesn't come through for me in this, this, and this way, I'm out. See, Advent, we light the candles, we sing the carols. Advent is a reminder that God has given us all we need and that even when we don't feel it and even though we have doubts that God has promised us then in the end 
all of these things will be fulfilled? That through the coming of Jesus Christ, through the birth of Christ, we are reminded of the promise? That we, in response to our doubt, should eagerly wait for the coming of Christ and listen for the work that he will do in our lives? Advent could actually be something that reminds us, you and me, of all the great things God has done and will do. See, I believe that God is in the business of surprising you and me. You know, a lot of times we think that that God is always sort of going to do the same things over and over. Right? A lot of times we just think, okay, well, I'm going to go to church. Of course, Sam's talking about Mary. It's Christmas time. We're going to go through the Jesus story. We'll light the candles, we'll sing some songs. You know, next week, Patrick will be leading worship and he'll do some of the Christmas carols he loves. It's gonna be the same as last year. What if Advent could be something special? What if we took these next four weeks and really used them to respond to our doubts we have? (laughs) What if you allowed God to surprise you with his goodness and his joy in the next couple of weeks. Church, I believe we can overcome our doubts and fears. It doesn't mean they won't ever come up again. It doesn't mean that that we'll never have doubts, but I believe that when we feel them, when we experience them, that God wants us to overcome them. And that there is no need to ever have an exit strategy from God. There is no need to ever have a divorce plan to sneak away in the middle of the night in case it doesn't work out. When I read through scripture and look at the life of this Christ that we're waiting for, that we're eagerly waiting for, I see that he conquered everything that we would ever fear. You're gonna have doubts. That's okay. We all have doubts. Church, I sometimes have doubts. <laughs> you want, I'll just be 100% honest with you. I still, I've been a pastor here for three and a half years and I still have doubts that I can do this job. I have days when I get here on Sunday nights and I think, what in the world am I doing here? I don't deserve to be here. But yet, what has God called me to? God has called me to come forth, to be your pastor as best I can, to preach the word as best I can, to encourage you in your own journey because I know you go through the same stuff. And that's okay. But if we're really going to worship God in the next four weeks in Advent, if we're really going to look forward to the coming of Christ that changes the world, that brings light to the darkness, we need to take stock not just of what's coming, but what God has done. What has God done in your life? How have you seen his faithfulness and his love and his care in your life? Let that be something that motivates you. Let it be something that motivates you with your doubts that you would become more patient, that you would listen more to God. And our Lord Jesus, as he has taken a chance on you, that you would take a chance on him and say, you know what, God, even though it may not happen in my lifetime, or even though it may not happen in my timeline, I know it will happen. Even if I die for my faith, I know I will be with you forever. Advent is like Easter in the sense that it demands a response from us. We can't just come to church and say, maybe it happened. Either we believe this or we don't. I identify with people like Joseph. I really do. I get it. I get why he doubted. And that's okay. Doubt's not bad. But when we think about our doubts and our weaknesses and the questions we have, where does your doubt take you? Does it take you down a road of seeking a divorce from God in case of an emergency? 
Or does it lead you to remember the great things God has done for you and through you and with you? For me, whenever I feel that doubt, like I mentioned, whenever I wonder, God, what in the world are you doing? Why am I here? I look back on my own life and I think back to the own, my own things that God has done and I realize God's always been faithful. It's never been how I thought it would be, but he's always been faithful. Why would that change today? Would you guys pray with me? Let's pray. God, we don't know what you're doing. God, we don't know why you chose such an implausible way to bring your Savior into the world. But we know we have doubts. We know we struggle with knowing what the truth is. And so God, I would ask for each one of us that you would reach into our hearts and hold it gently. That you would care for us, that you would put up with us in our doubt and in our forgetfulness and remind us of your love and your forgiveness. Lord, we cling to the promises of scripture that you love the world so much that you gave your son and that through your son, those who believe will be redeemed will be reconciled to you and that one day, though we cry, though we wait, though we struggle to have patience, we will need these things no more. That one day, Lord, all will be made right because you sent yourself, your son as Jesus, to show us the way. Lord, I thank you for that truth and I pray that we would remember it in our doubts and we pray this in Christ's name, amen. I wanna invite our musicians up as they lead us in a song. And the first song they're gonna lead us in, the first couple of lines I think are so profound. It says, in the darkness we were waiting, without hope and without light, till from heaven you came running. I want you to think about this in this way. This world is a dark place. We're waiting for God to make things better. We're waiting for God to redeem and restore it. And Jesus doesn't just come but that he comes running to us to bring us light. And so I would invite you now with that in mind to please stand and sing with us as Jesus comes running to us.